Amen. It's good to see you guys again. We are trying to discover what it means to be a dynamic, multiplying disciple. So I want to begin with this question. You don't have to answer. I just want you to ponder this question. Are you a powerful Christian? There's something inside of us that when we hear that question, there's something inside of us that automatically resists that definition of ourselves. Isn't that true? Are you a powerful Christian? We, we don't want to be the person that says, absolutely, I'm an extremely powerful Christian. So there's something inside of us that says, no, I don't say that about myself. But I, wanna, I want us to ponder that question uh, for a few minutes tonight. We have been looking uh, through the book of Ephesians, this gorgeous letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, and we have been finding those key characteristics of what a dynamic, multiplying disciple looks like. We, I think we've done four up to this point. We've done alive, a dynamic, multiplying disciple, his path from death unto life. It means something to truly be a Christian, doesn't it? A dynamic, multiplying disciple is blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. A dynamic, multiplying disciple is united. And we messed with you two weeks ago. Some of you almost quit the church when we put numbers on the tables. And then when I got up to speak on that, it was such a blessing to just throw you right under the bus when I said, all those of you are griping, sitting with those people, you need to know this is what we're lessening about tonight. Paul said that God has torn down the middle wall of partition and that Jews and Gentiles don't call each other dogs anymore. We love and care and serve everyone. Amen? We're united. And last week, Dave uh, gave us a powerful word on chapter two, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, on what it means to be missional. The Apostle Paul has been in full-blown, beautiful, deep theological mode. And we get to chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, and he has been talking about the amazing attributes of God, the amazing thing about salvation, this whole idea about how we're one in Christ. There's not Jews and Gentiles don't fight anymore. But he gets to verse 14 of chapter 3, and I almost envision the Apostle Paul reaching his arms out to that congregation and say, but I want to tell you something. And he gives them a very intimate and a very personal word. And I've de- I've, we've given this title tonight that the, a dynamic multiplying disciple has, every Christian rather, has the potential to be a very powerful Christian. A dynamic multiplying disciple is powerful. A strong, amazingly stable, deeply knowledgeable Christian filled with God's spirit, grace, wisdom, and character. And you say, that's not me. What if? Because when I asked that question a moment ago, are you a strong Christian? What that reflected on was our strength, didn't it? And immediately we in our mind were saying, well, I'm not because I'm weak and I I have some frailties to my limitations. I'm not, 
I, I don't do everything I ought to do, and I should have prayed more, and I should, I, no, I, and, 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 and that question, are you a strong Christian, reflects, it automatically reflected on our strength. But what if the power, the powerful Christian's power wasn't themselves, but something else? And how tragic would it be if the power existed for the weak to be powerful through somebody else's power and we never availed ourselves of it? How tragic would that be? So when we ask ourselves, am I a powerful Christian? The question really is, am I allowing God's power to do in me everything he wants to do? Because we all know the score when it comes to us, right? Paul said, uh, I, uh, of the sinners of whom I am the chief. When it comes to us, if, if it's up to our determination, wisdom, spiritual prowess, then we're all weak, right? Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But he also said, with me, with God, all things are possible. So when we think about this idea of powerful Christian, I don't want you to think about I need to pick myself up by my bootstraps and I need to be a better Christian. I want you to think in terms of I need to avail myself of all the power and the blessing that God has provided. As Paul reaches out his arms to this Christian, this church in Ephesus, and he has been talking all these deep theological truths um, he, he really gives a moment of tenderness where he speaks directly to his readers about his desire for their spiritual blessing. He speaks of his own prayers for those who will read this, and he describes it in a very intimate, tender way. He said, for this reason, I bow my knee before God Almighty on your behalf. Imagine, imagine that the plan of God, the will of God, is that what Paul is doing is he's on bended knee for us tonight as the, as the hearers of this word. And he's praying this glorious prayer. Let's read it beginning in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. I said it on Sunday morning and, and I'm going to say this uh, probably uh, repetitively over the next little while and, and, and continually, I'm encouraging us to really begin to just bring our Bibles. I, oftentimes the Scripture is on the screen, but I encourage you to bring your Bible, bring a, a device that you can look at the Word of God because the Word of God in our hand is, is, is oftentimes a place we can make notes and then we can refer back to it. But here's what Paul said in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And here's his prayer. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He's describing this powerful Christian. I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength. You notice, you see these words that are coming through power. 
and rooted and grounded and strength. You will have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Is that just a pie-in-the-sky prayer by an ancient biblical writer, or is there something to this? I think a dynamic, multiplying disciple, can you imagine what the kingdom, what God could do in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of darkness in this world if he could help me as a pastor to live this out and experience this? If he, if he could help every one of us. What if Eastlake became a church filled? With men and women who were powerful on the inside by the Spirit of God. Rooted and grounded in their faith. Strengthened with might. Given the knowledge of God. And filled with all the fullness of God. That is quite a description, isn't it? I don't know about you. I'm not, I hope you understand from the beginning a moment ago. I'm not talking about us making ourselves more powerful or being better Christians. I'm talking about God the Holy Spirit, through His mighty power, doing something in us that is unthinkable. Listen to what He says, because He knew there would be naysayers. Verse 20. Now to Him, who is able to do... And if this was, if this was in an English class, the teacher would probably correct the English. Because it's somewhat redundant. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all. Far more abundantly than all we ask or think. In other words, you're sitting there as I'm reading that description a moment ago saying, there's no way in the world. I can't even imagine that I could be that kind of Christian. And Paul says, now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine. Wow. According to the power at work within us. The power at work within us. Not, he didn't say your power at work within you. The power of God that is at work within According to the power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You know, it might just be good enough to stop right there and all of us just bow our head and start praying, Lord, will you just work in me? Because that is my prayer tonight. Not, this, is, this, is not, this is not a scripture, and, and, and hopefully we'll see it as, as, as it unfolds. This is not a scripture to say you need to be a better Christian. This is a scripture saying, have you taken advantage of all that God has for you? Isn't that a difference? Of it? Sometimes we preach the powerful life, the deep life, the, the obedient life, the super, uh, the powerful Christian. We preach it like you need to behave yourself and get your act together and be a better Christian. Read more, pray more, visit more, witness more, give more. And it, it sort of comes with a burden of guilt. This is not Paul saying you guys need to behave. He's just been telling them all the amazing things that God has done in their life. And he says, you know, here's, I just want you to know, I'm on my knees praying to the powerful God that he would help you to realize how much power is available to you. Oh, this, this, this passage has long been a favorite of mine because I want to know it in, in experiential ways in my own life. 
Let me just give us four things that help us understand the powerful Christian life. Number one, there is an option to being a powerful Christian. There's an option. Throughout this letter, the Apostle Paul transitions. If you go back in the, uh, throughout the first part of this, it seems like every paragraph he transitions to a new subject based upon what he just said. In other words, in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember. Because of what I just said, remember. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this reason, based on what I just said, And then he goes down to the passage we looked at last week and he gets down to verse 13 and he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And for this reason, and what he does is in verse 13, he gives us, he gives us the option to being a powerful Christian. The people to whom Paul had written had experienced the powerful work of God in their lives. We saw that in chapters 1 and 2. But their pastor and their leader had been imprisoned and was facing great persecution. And in verse 13, he said, I ask you not to lose heart. I don't want you to be faint and weary. I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to be soft. I don't want you to be pushed beyond your limits. I'm praying that you'll be powerful, not weak. I'm praying that you'll be strong. The Greek word for lose heart or uh, uh, fainting, as some translations have it, it is, it is to, utterly, to, to be utterly spiritless. It is to faint or to be weary. Galatians says, do not grow weary. The same word in well-doing. You know, there are really two options when it comes to this matter of a Christian. We can be full or empty, deep or shallow, strong or weak, understanding or confused, fainting or persevering, holy or sinful, victorious or defeated. And the Apostle Paul said, I'm going through a lot of stuff, and I'm your pastor, and I don't want you to grow weary. I don't want you to faint. I don't want you to become spiritless. I'm Therefore, for this reason, I'm bowing my knee, and I'm praying that God will fill you with power. How many of you know that there's an option to a powerful Christian life? We find ourselves discouraged and defeated and frustrated. Trouble and discouragement. Shallow and superficial professions of faith. Some people just don't believe Christianity is any more than this. This leads to mild, mediocre Christianity, if there is such a thing. There's failure and continual yielding to willful sin in our life. Or, in some cases, we give up altogether. There's this option... To the powerful Christian life. Can I just say this, more, this evening. Let me just say this. We have made a theology. And we've tr- we, have, we have trumpeted a theology of weakness. It's, it's in vogue. To say we're just nothing. But weak sinful Christians. Oh we're just lower than the low. That's not the plan of God for his children. I'm not, you, you understand, I, I hope the, 
the distinction that I made in the beginning stays with us. Because I'm not saying I am somebody or I am strong. But I am saying I know I am weak. I know that I am frail. I know that I am but dust. I know that my feet are of clay. But I also know that the power of God within me can do above and beyond anything I can think or imagine. Amen? And so I think, I think one of the things that makes East Lake unique is God has given us from our inception. It's really our DNA. He's given us this passion and this commitment as we study the Word of God to be more than mediocre. Amen? I mean, a lot of Christendom, especially in the Western world, a lot of Christianity preaches a little profession. You make a profession, but you're nothing but a sinner saved by grace. And we're all sinners saved by grace, but I'm not a sinner after I'm saved. Go into the Bible. Show me a verse in the Scripture that calls a Christian a sinner. No, when you get saved, you're called a saint. You've heard me say that. I usually make you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I'm a saint. I just found this out. And your wife usually laughs at you when you say that. <laughs> no, my point, my point is that God has called us and has provided for us power to live a life that is obedient to Him and is effective in the service of the King. Hopefully you'll like the next point better. That one didn't seem to go over very well. Secondly... There is a prayer for us to be powerful Christians. Having invested in them and witnessed the work of God in their life, Paul doesn't want them to faint. And so we see the purpose of his prayer. For this reason, I can relate to Paul's passion for the people that he had shepherded. In his concern for them not to grow weak or to faint in their faith. The Apostle Paul is driven to pray for them. His prayer is unique and powerful. We are given his posture. I bow my knees. We're given the person to whom he's praying. Before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. There is the possibility in prayer that according to the riches of his glory. So you and I are not going to get strong because we go to Eastlake. And we're not going to get strong because we have an intellectual understanding of scripture. We're going to be strong in the Lord when it's according to the riches of His glory. We can heap all of our wisdom and all of our uh, uh, experience and we can heap all of our Christian um, uh, perspective. We can pile it all together and it literally fades away like cotton candy in a bowl of water compared to the power of God. Our strength, our strength comes from Him. The whole aim of the prayer of Paul in prison was their spiritual health, the strength of their faith, and the devotion and their experience of the amazing blessings of God. That they would become not discouraged and defeated, but that they would experience what it means to know the power of God in their life. Let me give you the description of the powerful Christian. In his prayer, Paul prays specifically for the people that they would experience more than a profession of faith. It is a prayer so specific and beautiful that it sounds too good to be true. But it's in these verses that Paul describes for us the potential that exists for every Christian. Let me just give them to you, these four characteristics. Number one, supernatural enablement by the Spirit of God. 
Paul says, I'm praying. Supernatural spiritual strength is what Paul is praying for these believers who were tempted to lose heart. Paul knows that the cure for spiritual weakness is the indwelling, powerful Spirit of God that has been given to us and is unleashed to have full control in our life. Supernatural spiritual enablement. Somebody sitting in this room tonight has believed a lie from the devil about your spiritual capacity or ability and you've just believed that I'm fatally flawed in this way and I'm always going to be this way. Did you know that the Spirit of God on the inside can transform you and give you supernatural power? Hallelujah. Isn't this good stuff? Because this isn't about us becoming power, me doing more push-ups spiritually so I can become more powerful. This is me yielding to the work of God in my life so that He can make me powerful. Hallelujah. The reality of this supernatural enablement is seen in the work of the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there is purity and there is power. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there is purity and there is power. We talk about the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Can, can, I, think, I think I can, I, I don't think, I know. I can show you from uh, every place the Scripture talks about the work of the The evidence of the Holy Spirit is the, are, are these two things. Wherever the Holy Spirit is at, unleashed in a person's life, you will see more holiness. You will see more holiness. The Holy Spirit never leads us into sin or wickedness. As a matter of fact, the more the Holy Spirit is working in our life and has control of our life, we're going to be more humble, more holy, more patient, more kind, more forgiving. Because that's the work of the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And the other thing that you will see is power. And let me just let me just let me just explain that just for a moment. The power that is unleashed in the life of a person through the Holy Spirit is not the power to show me off to the world. It is the power to show God off through me to the world. And so here's what happens. The evidence of being filled with the Spirit, very simple. You will, you will have the ability, the power of God to live above willful, habitual sin. And you will have the power of God to effectively do work for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. D.L. Moody tells a story about preaching. And he said, two ladies, and I, I don't know this, I, I can't recall. I've read it and shared it in sermons before, but I can't recall the deed. But two ladies came to him and said, D.L. Moody, we're praying that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, what are you praying for me for? I'm a preacher. Well, I, I don't I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, I was going around preaching, and his ministry was very bare. And then he came to a place where he surrendered his life fully, and the Holy Spirit had full control. And D.L. Moody's testimony is, after that, I preached the same sermons, only with different results. And he said, what was the difference? The difference is that the Holy Spirit was anointing the work of D.L. Moody. They were bringing D.L. Moody to a place. Some pastors had gotten together. They were trying to bring D.L. Moody to this. And two or three of the pastors were all about D.L. Moody. Oh, D.L. Moody, when he preaches, people get saved. D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody. And two of the other pastors were pretty sort of skeptical. And they said, well, what do you think? D.L. Moody has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we think the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. 
Amen. And when the Holy Spirit gets a monopoly on me, I have the power to live above willful habitual sin. And I have the power to do the work that God has called me to do. Amen. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.16, So we do not lose heart. Same word as he uses in verse 13. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Why? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. There's the characteristic of unwavering expression of faith in the Son of God. Paul describes the one who is stable and unwavering in their relationship with Christ. Words like, Rooted and grounded and dwell. Speak to permanent residents. Words like rooted and grounded speak to the person who has the Spirit enabling them. And they are steadfast in their faith. The third characteristic of the deeper life is a genuine experience of the love of God. As I studied this, it became evident to me that this is not... And this was a good word of encouragement to me. That the primary meaning of this is Paul is not saying, I want you to love God more. He's saying, I want you to understand how much God loves you more. I want want you to be able with all the saints to comprehend the love of God, the love that God has for you. You know, I think I put it in there, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, indeed, our chief defect as Christians is that we fail to realize Christ's love to us. John Wesley worked and studied and became educated. And he thought he was a great Christian. He thought he was doing everything. But it wasn't until that night in the 1730s, he was listening to someone read the preface to the book of Romans, Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans, that he says and testifies, and there's a plaque on Alders Great Street in London today. He says that I testified that I knew that Christ had forgiven my sins, and I knew that God loved me. And John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed as he described it. What was that? He was comprehending through the power of the Holy Spirit the love that God had for him. You know what? I think it would make a world of difference in a lot of our lives if we could, through the grace of God and the Spirit of God, we could begin to comprehend the love that God has for us. You see, on the one hand, it's me picking myself up. i got to love God better. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, I'm praying. Paul's in gentle mode here. He's not in hellfire and brimstone like I am tonight. He's in gentle mode. And he's saying, I'm praying that you'll be able to understand how much God loves you, Mike. How much God loves you, Mark. How much God loves you. Oh, if we could ever comprehend the love of God like that. Oh, I think it would transform us in a powerful way. D.A. Carson says, the remarkable thing about this prayer is that Paul assumes that his readers, Christians, though they are, do not adequately appreciate the love of Christ. It's not a prayer that we might love Christ more, although we should. Rather, Paul is praying that we might better grasp Christ's immense love for us. While there is an intellectual side to this, it is not merely intellectual. Paul is praying that we who already know Christ's great love might come to experience it at ever-deepening levels oh lord help me to know that amen the fourth characteristic of the deeper life is a wholehearted embrace to the will of god that you may be filled with all the fullness of god charles spurgeon said this is the top rung of the ladder 
As our capacity to receive it grows, He keeps filling us again and again. And the idea of fullness implies total dominance or control so that God controls our minds, our emotions, and our will. When we are filled with His fullness, we'll begin to love like Him. We'll begin to give like Him. We'll begin to reach out to the lost like Him. What a glorious way to live. Surely this is the life, the abundant life that Jesus talked about. It is a tragic when Christians use the wrong measurements in examining our own spiritual lives. We like to measure ourselves by the weakest Christians that we know and then boast, well, I'm better than they are. Paul says that the measure is Christ and that we cannot boast about anything until we have reached His fullness, which He is continually working out in us. You see, positionally, as a Christian, we are complete in Him. Positionally, we are complete in Him, but practically, we enjoy only the grace that we apprehend by faith. That I would embrace and do the whole will of God. So let me give you the fourth one here. There is power to be a powerful Christian. There is power to be a powerful Christian. Because Paul knew how most Christians would respond to his prayer. They would say, well, that's, that's for Bonnie Wilson. Because Bonnie Wilson is a saint. But that's not for me. Amen. That's for somebody else. That's for this person. And that's for the, but that's not. And Paul said, I think I just need to add two more verses on. And we take these two verses and they do talk about the power of God. And that's a beautiful thing. And we can apply them in a lot of unique ways. But do you realize that the context of these two verses is directly related to the work of God in us? And the thing that you can't imagine that God can do in your life, Paul says, he has the power to do that. He has the power. As a matter of fact, he says, you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And when the Holy Spirit is at work, the power of God can do that. Let me give you a couple thoughts on this. There is the power, the power of God is beyond human comprehension. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. We need to know that God's power is infinitely beyond us. God's power is infinitely beyond us. God can restore the marriage that is the most broken. God can save a person who is the most lost. God can encourage a soul that is the most discouraged. There is the, the, the power of God. If, if, if nothing else clicks with you tonight, you need to leave here encouraged that God has the power to do things beyond my comprehension. Amen. That ought to, church, that ought to boost your prayers, if nothing else. Why would I not ask God to do the impossible in my life? Or the impossible in my family. Why would I ask, not ask God to break a lifelong habit? Why not? Because God has the power that is infinitely beyond our own abilities. Above and beyond anything you can think or imagine. Or you can ask or imagine. Why, why would I not ask God for a $5 million donor? I'm getting a little out of context here, but it felt good when I said it. No, I'm serious. The work of God in us. And for God is his power is is infinitely beyond us. His power is indwelt within us. He says, according to the power at work within us. The power that is infinitely beyond us dwells within us. 
Isn't that amazing? God's power is at work within us. So the power of God is beyond human comprehension. Secondly, the power of God is directly related to our relationship with God. Directly related to our relationship with God. In other words, as I allow the work of God to unfold in my life, I unleash the power of God to be worked out in my life. And what I'm saying by that is simply this. If we allow the work of the Holy Spirit to lead us through verses 14 through 19, then the power of God is available to us. How many of you know that if you're living in rebellion against God, you're not going to experience the power of God in your marriage? The power of God is directly related to our relationship with God. And again, this doesn't go against what I've premised to this whole message on, and that is that I have to do better and get myself together. This is just, I need to be walking in sincerity and honesty and obedience to the Lord in my life. And then He brings in the power that is infinitely beyond me and can do what I cannot do. The power of God is directly related to our relationship. The power of God is for our exceptional relationship with Him. So primarily, unfortunately for me, it's not primarily prayers to pray over $5 million. What he's really talking about is the power of God is really about making me the kind of believer and Christian that he wants me to be. Did you know that this power that he's talking about is designed to make you a powerful Christian? That's the purpose of it. The whole per, uh, unto him is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything we could ask or think. The power of God, thirdly or fourth, is manifest through the church. This is an interesting discovery as I studied this passage of Scripture. Did you know we, we have a Western mindset? We're all Western thinkers and Western in the sense of Western worldview. We, 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 we're very individualistic. And so we read this and we go off in our private devotions, which you ought to have and I ought to have. And we read this, I bow my knees and I pray that the riches of his glory, he may grant you, Troy, the Lord's going to grant me, and that you would be strengthened with power through, you would be strengthened with power, that Christ may dwell in your, I'm just taking all this very personally. But did you know every one of these pronouns in here are plural? That the power of God is manifest through his church. There's something exceptional about this. There's something encouraging. We must experience this kind of love and community with all the saints, he said. That you would be able to comprehend with all the saints. What Paul is saying that there are aspects of the love of God that we will never know apart from community with other believers. And that there is a display of the power of God that we'll never see outside of the community, the prayer of other believers. You know, we've heard about revivals, haven't we? Where God showed up, and and that's how we phrase it, because that's the best thing we know how to say it. But where people are singing, or they're praying, or they're worshiping, and something supernatural begins to happen. And the rebellious sinner in that place is smitten, and they fall down, and they begin to cry out to God. What are we seeing, actually? We're seeing the power of God that is at work within us begin to work among us. And God does His best work when His people are together praying and worshiping and singing. 
This is the power of God. It is manifest through his church. The power of being in community of believers is the ability to grasp and experience the love and the power of God. And the power of God is to display the glory of God. He said, to him be glory throughout all generations forever and ever. And so, he wants to make us a powerful Christian, a powerful church, so that the world will see a powerful God. So that the world will see a powerful God. And so I close with the question that I started with. Are you a powerful Christian? And maybe the answer ought to be simply this. I don't know or I don't think so. But I now believe that I'm a candidate. Because God, God's power in the weakest vessel is the most powerful. God's power in the weakest vessel is the most powerful. Ben, let's, uh, let's pull a song together. I don't know where Ben is. Let's grab it. Let's pull a song together. I want to sing here in just a moment. But I want us to take a moment and just thank the Lord for the power that he has provided for us. Aren't you glad that if you were once uh, uh, dishonest, immoral, whatever, that, that God has changed you from that to where you are today? You know, we watch the news and all that's going on in the news, and the world has one thing for sure. There is no redemption. If you did something wrong in 1958, you're done. We're going to mark you off forever. You can never do anything. That's the world's view, right? But I watch this stuff, and I actually wrote it, if you saw the article in the paper, I am so glad that I have been redeemed and transformed, and I'm not the rebellious idiot that I was when I was a teenager. And it's not because Troy's smart and he did the right things. It's because the grace of God got a hold of me and protected me from my stupid self. Amen? Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Oh, Lord, just we thank you tonight. Just tell the Lord how much you appreciate his grace and his power in your life. Lord, I thank you tonight that we who were lost and unsaved and undone, we are no longer by your grace and by your power. It wasn't through works of our own righteousness, Lord. It wasn't through our own wisdom and our own uh, understanding that we came to some great understanding of salvation. It was through the mighty, powerful work of God. When we were running away from you, your grace and your power was chasing after us and Lord I pray tonight that uh, you would just help us to know that in a new and a fresh way tonight I wonder tonight as we prepare to sing as we as we just take a moment and say oh God would you help us help me help me to be a powerful Christian could would that be too hard for you to pray that just from your heart to the Lord tonight it sounds weird it sounds arrogant I'm not you understand what I mean now hopefully at the end of that 40 minute deal we're not praying about our own strength. We're praying, Lord, will you make me powerful through your mighty power? And maybe we could just pray like the Apostle Paul prayed. Oh, God, we just bow before you tonight. And we pray. I pray for this precious group of people that are here. Lord, in their eyes and their, their, their countenance, I see a hunger. 
I see a hunger to do the will of God and to know you. And, and they yearn for what we speak about tonight. We, they yearn for the words. I yearn for the words of the scripture tonight to be real in my life. And oh God, help it to be more than a pie in the sky aspiration. But help us to know experientially the true unleashed power of God as we confess and surrender and yield even in this moment, Lord so that you might display your mighty power to the world around us. So Lord, we love you tonight and we worship you. Make us powerful Christians. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.